If you're looking for a community to accompany you in your leadership journey, you should join our Savvy Supervisors Facebook group. Insights and videos, supports, great group discussions, and weekly themes to help you hone your leadership skills all for free. You can find it at SavvySupervisors.com. That will take you directly to the Facebook page. And if you're interested in finding out more about our supervisory leadership course, which is our signature course and has been used with over 100 companies with amazing results, you can check that out at supervisoryleadership.co. That's supervisoryleadership.co. Michael has been working as a coach since 2013 and graduated from the Adler Professional School of Coaching in 2015. His clients include managers, sales executives, consultants, and small business owners. He holds two degrees from the University of Waterloo, an MBA from the University of Memphis, and is a professional engineer. Michael is certified in Hogan Assessments, EQI 2.0, and employs the Clifton Strengths Finder to help create a powerful starting point for his clients from which they begin their deep learning and leadership development. Through their work with Michael, his clients develop personal power, grace, and greater capacity to lead. Inevitably, this propels those clients towards more meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in their lives at home and at work. So welcome, Michael, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Hi, Marie. Glad to be here. So that was just a little formal bio that we did. Why don't you fill in the audience and tell us a few more things about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I, I guess when I think about uh, the whole me, I'm a son, of course, a husband, a father of two teenagers. And I also love to do other things like scuba dive, triathlete. And my wife and I ran a triathlete and a half marathon last year. Half marathon was first ever. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit more about me. Wow. I had no idea that you were a triathlon person. <laughs> yes, yes. My wife wants to do a half Ironman this year, but I think that's too much for me with my schedule. Yeah, that's something that I aspire to too. But I don't know if that's going to work as a couple, but it's definitely a personal goal. Good for you that you're already there. You can give me some tips. Yeah, absolutely. So when I start interviewing people on this podcast, I typically ask them to share a couple of incidents from their childhood that they really helped to form them and to shape them into the person that they are today. Can you think of some special benchmark type incidents that really you believe were formational for you when you were a child or an adolescent? So when I think about things that formed me back when I was a child or an adolescent, a couple of things come up for me. And I guess one of the first ones was coming home one day and coming through the schoolyard and I saw a team practicing football and I had never played football before. And so I kind of watched from afar and then I went up closer and then one of the coaches asked me if I wanted to, to be part of the team and if I wanted to play football. And at that moment, I just thought to myself, yeah, yeah, I do. And I went home and told my mom and that didn't go over so well, but I continued. And I guess from that point forward, you know, having made that decision, it was quite formative. I played football for eight years um, and, and that was quite something for me. I, I loved every minute of it. You know, there were two other things I think that really kind of molded me when I was younger. One was uh, well, church, I guess, and our Reverend Rokeby at the time, he made a lot of sense for me. And, you know, it wasn't so much the scripture, but it was how he made sense of the world. And the way that he talked about taking care of one another and just being nice, good people. And the other one that was kind of in line with that was Cubs and Scouts. 
I mean, I ended up being one of the first chief scouts in Canada. Um, and that's, that's one of the top honors at the time anyways. And we're talking about a long time ago, but Cubs and scouts and being outside and leading people and having fun out in the wild in the winter and in the summer, it was, uh, those were some big ones for me. Hmm. So you really liked being outdoors. You liked being with groups of people and learning to lead them right from the time you were really young. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I could be outdoors more than indoors, I'd be really happy. <laughs> That's great. Don't you think a lot of children right now are kind of nature starved? Yeah, I mean, there's a book that I've been trying to read called, I think it's The Last Child in the Woods. And it really talks about that. It talks about, you know, kids not getting outdoors, not understanding um, a lot about just being outside. And it's, uh, I think it's a shame. And I think they're missing something. Yeah, people even say that you can heal from all sorts of things by simply going for a walk in the woods every once in a while. Yeah, I totally agree. So from the groups that um, you were born into, what would you say has most influenced your sense of culture and self? Well, I was thinking about that. And, you know, I was born into West Indian culture. So my mom is from Trinidad. My dad's from Grenada. Dad was from Grenada. And we have a large family. And I mean, I had three siblings, but we also have a large extended family. And that extended family always got together. And it's kind of like when you go to Trinidad, it's not going to Trinidad for a vacation because you would have maybe two days out of the whole week as vacation, but the rest of the time you'd be seeing friends and family and just having a whale of the time. But from that also kind of comes a food, I think. Food is love in, in a lot of ways in, uh, in the West Indian culture and being close. And there was always a focus with the matriarchs and patriarchs in, in my family on doing the right thing because you know in your heart that it's the right thing, no matter what anybody else tells you. And uh, from aunts and uncles to parents, that was always one of the, the big values growing up and, and in my family. So being true to moral purpose. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. It's being true to yourself and it's being true to your teachings and, uh, and being true to people around you. Mm-hmm. You're just approaching everything with a sense of truth and authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. My dad, the one thing my dad used to say was, you know, you can do anything in this world and tell me about it, but don't lie to me. Whatever else happens, we can always work through it, but don't ever tell me a lie. And I've never forgotten that, and I never will forget that. That is, that's a great way to lead your life. Yeah, it's awesome. And you also saw in the context of a large extended family what that means, because you would see the ripple effects pretty clearly and quickly. Yeah, you know, from... Yeah, it was that large. Well, so I remember a time in 1981 when my cousins and I and a friend of theirs went down to see family. Uh, and yes, I'm dating myself, so forgive me for that. But <laughs> when we went down, it was the number of people and friends and family and, and the things we did. My grandfather was 77 and took us up one of the tallest mountains in Trinidad, uh, El Tacuche. And it was a, a full day hike up and back. And we had... I think it was 12 or 13 of us, all cousins and friends of the family. So it was quite an entourage that my 77-year-old grandfather took up the mountain. Wow, that's great. And also that going up the mountain together is a good metaphor for life, really. There are lots of mountains we have to climb, but isn't it better when you do it together with others? Yeah, it, it, it truly is, right? Like bringing people with you. I mean, a number of folks and, and sometimes in what I see, people people attempt to go it alone, but as soon as they realize, and it's a lesson that I learned, I think, from reading um, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that, you know, in, in your teens, you fight for independence and you, you want to go it alone. But 
hopefully when you get older and smarter and wiser, you understand that we're all interdependent. And, and I think that's part of that climb up the mountain is that interdependence and reliance on other people to get you and them where they, where they and you want to get to. Yeah, we can get there together faster and better. It might seem slower in, at some, in some places, but actually the end goal is just going to be so much better when we've done it with a group. Yeah, for sure. And then you arrive together and then you can celebrate, not just by yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty lonely eating your uh, cake and drinking your champagne at the top of the mountain alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everybody's got temperament and personality, the temperament you're born with. And the personality is that combination that comes from your work, your education and, and the way you approach obstacles and overcome them during your life. So let's look at temperament first. What would you say you were born with that makes you you and that affects your leadership style? You know, I think that the things that I was born with that never seem to go away is one is optimism. So I just can't see myself. And, and I think there's maybe once in my life for a month or two where I, I wasn't positive And that was maybe second year university in engineering. And it was really tough. But other than that, I, I think I'm, I'm generally and almost always optimistic about how things will go. I also have a sense that if I can figure out how something works, I can master it. And so as my mom will tell you, that's like the quintessential personality or temperament of an engineer. They're always trying to figure things out. And, and for sure, that resonates with me. And then laughter. I, I, as much as I might try not to laugh or have fun or, or smile with people, it's, uh, it's not something that's possible, I don't think. One of my bosses used to call me smiley. And I used to ask Frank, what's going on? He goes, you're always smiling, man. You never stop smiling. And I'm like, ah, Frank, I'm sure I do. And he goes, nope. Why would you not want to do that? That's such a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, <laughs> but it's, you know, when people point that out, not that I become self-conscious of it, but I think it brings it home again that that, that is just a natural part of me. Yeah, that's great. There's a, a quote by Baha'u'llah that says, look upon the world with a bright and friendly face that is wreathed in smiles <laughs> a most laudable characteristic and that sounds just like you i think <laughs> that's wonderful thank you <laughs> so what about personality what do you think you've adopted into the way that you work in the world and the way you are in the world yeah so and i think these things dovetail in some respects but people might ask me you know if you if you didn't have a care in the world and ever all of your responsibilities were taken care of and you had access to all the money you'd ever need, what would you do? And my answer and the only answer I could ever come up with is travel. I would travel. I would want to see the world. I'd want to see new things in new places. Um, I mean, I can't get enough of doing that. And, and, I, and I love to travel. And so that love of learning and learning every day is just it's exciting. It feels so good to do that. And then a number of other things from, from my travels is being, and it may sound corny, but it really is having the perspective of being grateful for where we are and, and what we have um, as people living here in Canada. I share the example often with folks of a trip that we had to Jamaica and uh, my uncle at the time had a villa that we rented for a week and he has a helper that comes and helps keep us straight and help us get food and everything else. And we needed to take her home one night because we were late and we drove her, you know, down to the main road, then back up into the hills. And all we saw were, were shacks 
and you know with corrugated metal roofs and thinking to myself wow these these folks don't don't have very much up here and so we dropped her off and we were headed back down uh, back down to the villa and as we got to the main road uh, a school bus pulled across the road to let the kids off and at the end of the day late these kids come off the bus pushing and shoving and laughing and playing and they're in gabardine shorts, gray shorts with, you know, white tops and uniforms and they were happy. And I had to say to myself, wow, what a perspective, right? We can see what they don't maybe have from a physical point of view, but these people were happy. And it's something that I've never, ever forgotten. Stuff doesn't make you happy. No, not at all, right? It's the people. And the it might give you a moment of pleasure, but it doesn't make you happy. Happiness is much deeper than that. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah, so gratitude, something that you've, that you've gained in over time that you just felt more and more appreciative and, uh, and, and grateful for, for the, just the things, the people, and the opportunities and experiences in your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I've had the opportunity to do so much and see so much and be with so many people, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. So uh, what about groups that you adopted or, you know, because one of them might be, say, the engineering profession, which would be which would be a group, a professional group. But there are probably other groups that have become a part of your life as an adult. Are there some that have influenced your leadership that you can think of now? It's really some of the the sports um, in terms of leadership and working with people. And it's one of my older bosses, too. So I think the ultimate team sport for me. And the ultimate example of working with people uh, was rowing. So when you're in a, a shell with, you know, three other people in my case, you know, the bodies have to move together, the hands and the level of your hands. I mean, everything has to be choreographed perfectly by four individuals to make that boat move consistently and quickly and, and in a, a meaningful way straight down the course. And without that level of teamwork, it's just, it's not going to work. And so that kind of is a, a metaphor for me um, to, for work in terms of people working together. But also one of the very early examples that I have in leadership was a, a boss of mine. His name is Dennis, Dennis Friel. And in the company that we worked for, there were two ladders to progress in the company. One was the traditional management ladder um, and one was a technical ladder this is an organization of 133,000 people around the globe um, at the time, and we produced in 20 countries and sold in 50. And Dennis was one of the top technical people, but I encountered Dennis as a manager. And knowing that, I said to Dennis one day, I said, so why, why are you doing this? Why are you here as a manager when I, I know how technically savvy and smart and experienced you are? And Dennis said to me, he said, you know what? I took this job so that I could help you and others and the rest of the team develop and potentially go further than I ever could. And I was dumbfounded. I had no idea what to say to that, but I've never forgotten it. It's, it was so giving of him in this organization um, with such purpose that, that that's always stuck with me. Hmm. That's a beautiful story. It's a very nice story. And okay. I also very much like your metaphor of rowing because you have to sense the rest of the team. You have to Absolutely. be tuned to the team. And the team has to all be oriented towards a goal. Plus, if someone sees an obstacle or an idea, the others have to respond instantly, almost as if they were the same in the same body to be able to deal with that obstacle, right? Yeah, and, and that, that, that ad hoc or very quick response to what the others are doing in the boat really talks about how in tune you are. So again, that metaphor really holds 
hold strong. So to be a leader for you is really someone who is entirely in tune with the team and that helps the team to stay focused on whatever the goal is so that you together can all contribute your strengths towards that. Absolutely. I mean, my idea of a leader, of an ideal leader, someone who's there to remove blockages and facilitate the progress of others. Um, if a leader can do that and take themselves, so to speak, more out of the equation than you might think, the team rises and the output's phenomenal and people are happier and, uh, and they're more productive and creative. I mean, I, I love it when well, in the words of the A-team, I love it when a, you know, a plan comes together or a team comes together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and then you can't even really tell who's leading. No, that's it, right? Because the individuals all have the ability to take the lead at one point or another, and they have that personal leadership capability. Um, and if everybody is doing that from time to time, yeah, you're right. You can't really tell who the, the formal leader is, but you just know that team is working really well together. Because you take the ego out of it. Yeah, and it's a commitment to the team and accountability to the team, which kind of supplants um, personal goals. But again, that with that metaphor of climbing up the mountain and, and being interdependent, if everybody wins, you win too. So why, you know, why not have it that way? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if everyone in the world thought that way, we'd have our, we would have a lot of boats going in the right direction. Right now, we've got all these teams with people, you know, bumping each other with the oars and going in circles. Yes, we do. So I wanted to ask you, can you think of a time when you became aware that whatever cultural understandings you had about how you saw the world were just from your experience, your group experience? And, you know, is there a time when you ran up into thinking, whoa, this is not the way everybody does things, must be something pertaining to the culture that I belong to or the cultures that I belong to? Yeah, and, and it, it comes back to that optimism and, and level of positiveness. I mean, I think... Not I think I know that from time to time I, I manage myself in the context of others um, and those around me depending on how they're doing because with my continued positive outlook, um, I could imagine that it could be annoying from time to time because that's just not how everybody is. Um, but by the same token, you know, I'm not going to actually change that outlook because I think it's valuable. Another kind of facet is that I generally accept and am open to people from the first minute that I meet them. And I know that sometimes people put some effort into maybe evaluating who the person is in front of them, but I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt at the beginning. And I think over time, I see how they align between what they say they're going to do and what they actually do. And I think that some people see that as maybe a little bit naive at the beginning, being so accepting, but it's something that I've learned serves me really well. And so that's, that's another thing that I think that from my experience and my education and the people that I've been around, I tend to prefer to do it that way all the time. Yeah, I would say those are more your own personal approaches to things that you've developed over time. But what I'm talking about is being sort of almost feeling like you've been knocked on the side of the head going, whoa, what what was that? That is not the way things uh, happen around here. So, for example, I, I did a contract a few years ago where I was just used to people working together and working together, not in silos. Lots of stakeholders coming together and moving forward uh, towards whatever it was we need to do, kind of like your boat metaphor. And it ended up that they 
the contract that I had, there were six different departments, and each of those departments worked alone. They were often against each other. There were a whole bunch of politics. And it just hit me. That wasn't the way I, I knew how to work. And that the way I'd been doing things was one way, and the way they were doing things was another way. And I really had no clue how to adapt in that environment. I just felt like I was a fish out of water, you know. So uh, that was a professional uh, environment where I where I just felt that I was coming from one culture to another culture that, of of the way approach to doing things. And then also I have a lot of friends that are Persian, so you know they're from Iran. And when you go every time I go to a Persian, a gathering where there are lots of Persians, uh, I'm immediately struck by the fact how I will never belong, <laughs> and how I'm way too direct for Persians. <laughs> I'm always trying to tone that down. <laughs> no matter what I do, I always end up being too direct. And it's <laughs> so oh, even though I've known people for you know 30, 35 years, and there's so many things that I love about Iranian culture and that I admire and that I've adapted and tried and even incorporated into the way that I do things, I often still feel no, this is just the way I do things, and the way that they do things are two C's that will never meet. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever had and, uh, you know, experiences like that that you can think of? Well, I, I can think of the first big startup experience that I've had. And, you know, I had come out of a number of collaborative um, roles before that. And and in this this startup, there was a lot of money involved and there were a lot of different personalities involved. And, and things just got done here in a totally different way than, than I had ever experienced before. And, yeah, that feeling of being a fish out of water, uh, I totally felt like a fish out of water. I, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't really know what to do to adapt to the environment and how people were handling themselves and how they were behaving around others. It was, uh, yeah, it was a tough time. Yeah, it sounds similar to that when I was mentioning about being in a collaborative multi-stakeholder environment versus a corporate environment with a lot of embedded politics that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, politics were embedded here and there were um, people who were bonused on getting things done that were diametrically opposed to the way that we were trying to work. And so there was a lot of money behind getting things done in a certain way. And, and in the end, it ended up causing huge problems because those things surfaced at the wrong time and uh, we were working against each other and we in the end had failures and, and the, the business failed in the end because of it. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview. And I was wondering if you have some things that you would have loved to have tell, told an employer, if you had that chance to do that. So you've worked for a lot of different companies and you've been in a lot of different countries. What, what would you say to an employer if you had that opportunity to say, Hey, this is the best way to work with me. This is how you can get the best uh, work out of me. What would you say to that employer? Yeah, so the first thing that I would say is that, you know, work or let me work with you. Um, I don't respond well to bosses. So I think of uh, football coaches that I responded to well. And, and one of my favorite coaches worked with all of us. He was tough on us and had expectations, but we solved things together and we worked really hard. And in the two years that I worked for him, we were 
think we lost one game in two full seasons. And I think that was the power of us all coming together. And in another team I worked, uh, one of the coaches just told us what to do. And there was, it was such a different experience. So for managers um, and in the workplace with the rowing experience, with the football experience, with my own teams, it's really to get the best out of me, I, I need to work with a team where, where we all participate. I mean, I know it's not a democracy and decisions are made in the end, but let's start working together and let's try and solve things together and, and you'll get the best out of me for sure. That's great. That's really good. And any tips that you would give to people who want to understand, uh, you know, you've worked in different cultures, like you've worked in Mexico, you've worked in the UK. And so coming into a, a new cultural experience, what tips would you give to people to be able to function effectively in a culture that feels uncomfortable and unfamiliar to them? Yeah, so I think the biggest example of that, or th the one for me was going to the UK, one of uh, the other expats used to say, he says, you know what, you come from Canada, we're somewhere between English and American, and you know, we're good with all those cultures. And then we both landed in the UK and we went, wow, this is different. <laughs> and it was surprisingly different. And there were small things. It's so getting used to another culture, especially in a situation like that, I think it is from the, the and I guess it's one of my methodologies too, it's just to start observing, right? When you get to that level of discomfort, when you may not be able to actually put your finger on what's different and what's bugging you or what you can't figure out, just sit back for a bit and just see what's going on and inventory, if you will, the small things that are different um, and uh, and see how, how the locals work with or around or through those things. But it will be different and uh, it'll, it'll take a little time to adjust. That's great advice because really observing and paying attention to those details is what's going to get you closer to, to an understanding of how you can somehow be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And the people that you're with at the time that are part of that culture, they will see the effort and they'll appreciate it. And you'll actually get a lot of help that you might not have expected in the, in the early days. Yeah, yeah. People are willing to help. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when they see you putting an effort forward and in the, you know, at the time when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> totally, totally. Making the effort and knowing that you're uncomfortable is, is a double way to endear yourself to other people. <laughs> Absolutely. So is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, let's see. I think I had thought about a couple of things, and I think that I just wanted to share with folks, one of my beliefs is that our collective best comes from, from the inside out. And that's the my tagline, if you will, at Bearing is that, you know, change and doing things differently comes from the inside out. And I believe that, you know, we can always do better, especially for the things that we've taken responsibility for. And you just have to step into it. And I know that some of my clients look at me with wide eyes and go, man, that is scary. And, um, you know, from the young folks I work with up to execs, but it's once you take that first step into it, um, it's kind of like the door opens up and things, maybe they're not easier, but you definitely start to see a more clear path through whatever that scary thing was. And, and as a coach, I always get folks to remember that we've got choices. Um, and especially in places where we have less control, that generating the choices gives us options. And, uh, and you never as stuck as maybe you think you are at the very beginning. And the last piece would be, you know, trust your gut. I mean, people 
uh, often say, you know what, I just had that feeling, but I decided to go a different way. I say, don't do that. Check in, trust your gut. And uh, if you do choose to go another way, well, learn from what that choice was, especially if it was different from the way that your, you know, your gut was telling you to go. Those are kind of things that I keep in the back of my mind all the time. That is great advice. And especially that part that struck me is the, the, the part about taking a step because everything is always easier than you could have possibly, you imagine the worst possible thing that could happen and it could never be that bad is what your imagination is. Even in situations that are horrifically bad, taking a step forward is still better than what, what you had imagined. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and, and it does open up those crazy amounts of opportunities that you never even imagined before because you just couldn't see them because you're immobile. The taking the making moving for the motion is what brings the energy, right? Exactly. And it's funny because if you think of just being blinded by maybe a wall or door on either side of you, if you take one step forward and you get in front of that, your perspective is totally different. And all it took was one step, right? Just take a step and give it a shot. Yeah, that's it's great advice. I love it. So is there something you'd like to promote before we end the interview today? I guess, you know, in terms of, of what I do, um, folks can, can see and read and think about what I, what I think from my blog. Um, I tend to share a lot, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I'd enjoy talking to people and uh, having them let me know what they think about what they read. And um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's pretty much it. And your blog is on your website then? It is. It's uh, www.bearingcoach.ca slash blog. Right. And so we will put all of the links for that you gave me into the show notes so that you get a chance to uh, check more closely into the kinds of things that you're doing and, and learn from your very insightful and collectivist and unity-based approach. Thank you, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> so it really has been a pleasure to interview you today. I, I don't know if you've had as much fun as I had, but I really enjoyed it. I have. It was great talking to you. I mean, yeah, thanks for the questions and thanks for the opportunity. Marvelous opportunity for both of us then, and I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy it. So have a great rest of the day, and we will be in touch. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bring people with you. That is the approach Michael Hagley embraces as a leadership style. Throughout the interview, we saw evidence of Michael's collectivist approach to leadership, walking up the mountain together, sensing team members working towards a common goal to the point where it is hard to tell who is the leader, the rowing metaphor. Everything Michael does to empower others is based on the idea that we are better together. I really enjoyed Michael's positive and integrative approach towards developing capacity from the inside out. I especially appreciated his bright disposition, smiles, laughter, and enthusiasm for life. Thank you in advance for sharing and rating this podcast. You can send me a message at marie at shiftworkplace.com to offer opinions and suggestions for upcoming speakers or go to Voxer and leave me a voice message. If you do leave a voice message, who knows? You just might find yourself on one of the upcoming episodes for the Culture and Leadership Connection podcast. Thanks for listening and may cultural and leadership insights continue to inspire and guide your day.